to the Ticket Weeknights on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. What up? We are back on Inside the Huddle. Uh, second segment here. I will tell you this. Look, look, it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> look, man, I tried to beat a dead horse, and I, and I will say this about Scott Frost, and, and I will say this. It will go a little bit more into it and, and before we go over the 2022 season, which obviously was the end of Scott Frost era, a little bit of Mickey Joseph, and then the start of the Matt Rule era. But back to Scott Frost, I will say this, and this is where, this is where I think Scott missed the boat on people that actually supported him. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to support you as a former teammate mm-hmm. to the and, and alumnus of Nebraska. Nebraska comes first. You're a former teammate. I'm going to go to bat for you even, you know, blindly, you know, but I'm not going to do it blindly when you can't reciprocate the, the smallest amount of respect as a, I guess, a man or some sort of acquaintance. And by no means, I think that we were friends like we were be, you know, at the house and I'd be throwing stuff on the grill and we'd be drinking beers and reminiscing about the times that we had. So, I understood where 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 we were, but at the ultimately, you know, I'm gonna do what's right. And I will say this about Scott Frost. I think the circumstances of COVID hurt him and his ability to get this thing going more than anybody else, maybe in the nation, but in particular in the Big Ten. And here's why is because just look at Ohio State, and I know Michigan had a you know a down COVID year, but I'm gonna throw Michigan in there. Um, I'll even say teams like Northwestern, Minnesota, Michigan State. Yes, because uh, they had their coach was there. Penn State, those schools, right? They're more ready to handle a thing like COVID. The culture and the foundation is already in there and already was like deep rooted, mm-hmm. right? So their foundation of their houses is 40 feet deep in any type of soil. So they can handle any type of temperature, you know, time like a COVID. Right. Where you're spread. Those, those kids, when they leave, they know they got to work. We're going to play football at some point in time. They knew what it, the, the standard was of winning. Whereas when Scott took over, which he would, should have done and was able to do, because that's a decision with him, Bill Moose and the decision makers in the football program was they hit the reset button. You, help, you, you, you kept hearing them say rebuild, red rebuild or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And they gutted the roster and went extremely young. Well, yes, you're trying. It takes a. It takes a couple years to build it up. I think Scott, after the first year, those guys realize we can't have these little water bug receivers. We need to get some bigger guys on the outside and different type of running backs because what worked down there in the AAC ain't working in the Big Ten. Give them credit. So then they had to do a pivot. Mm-hmm. Well, then COVID hits, right? So even all the young athletes that you accumulated and the guys that are you know left over, you know, just on the team, and I'm not talking about him as a person or how he interacted as a team, right. but the team is – at one point in time, the youngest team in the nation. Well, then you got COVID. Essentially, let's say that whole COVID year, that was kind of like a spring ball, just a year just to go through the motions, right? Because remember, Nebraska didn't get a spring. Mm-hmm. So then you lose all those winter conditionings, you know, four weeks of spring, off-season work, everybody's just chilling. So now you become double the second youngest team because you haven't done any work, Right. And so then, therefore, then, but here's the problem that came along with that. You've already been here two years. And then there's the third year. And then the expectations went up because you're seeing the same things in year three that you saw in year one. Now, that's not fair considering that COVID hit. I'm not talking about the first game getting canceled. It always, it, you know, when, when they said, oh, well, we could have got off on good momentum and winning. Well, what about the Northwestern game when you, you they, Northwestern didn't have any timeouts, had to go 98 yards? And you had ninety nine point nine percent chance of winning. 
That, what about that game? What about the other ones? Don't tell me playing against the Akron team that it was a guaranteed win. We could have lost that game. We could have. We've lost to teams like Akron. So, but COVID, I think, curtailed any type of quick start that they could get. You know what I mean? Because of the lack of development. They couldn't really do anything. And then here you go into year four, right? Now the spotlight's on you. Now people, and here's also what happened during COVID. People were at home. Everybody was at home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people that didn't know football, they nobody knew. So they were online evaluating how your team played, evaluating how you were out in the public, evaluating their, their interactions with you. A lot of it was rumors, right? You know, probably so say if there was 100 rumors, I imagine maybe 10 of them were true. But, right, you start hearing the same things. Mm-hmm. So now everybody's judging how you, your on-field performance based off your off-the-field performance. Then the pressure comes up on year four. Now you have Adrian, right, who was anointed up for the Heisman after a freshman. Mm-hmm. We need, we're only going to keep be able to have Adrian for three years. we got to get some assets around him. That didn't work. We had the Maurice Washington, all this type of stuff kind of started to stockpile, stockpile, stockpile. And then it was still in year three talking about Mike Riley's guys, still talking about the relationship with Mike Riley and what he didn't do, right? Well, in theory, your best year on offense was with Mike Riley guys. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's be honest. And so um, that's where I think really hurt him. That COVID year or that COVID time, especially being shut down like that, I think it killed Scott Frost in his tenure if there was any positive momentum coming after the year one or year two. I I, I do, and that has nothing to do with Scott. You know, know, I can separate him, you know, as a coach or whatever you want to call it, separate, but I can deal with that and saying no matter what, any coach and coaching staff with that young of a roster – without established leadership and a foundation, right? You got to think the foundation that I'm talking about, Scott Frost didn't take over a winning program, right? So it's not like, uh, okay, let's look at Penn State. When James Franklin came to Penn State, Bill O'Brien just had built that thing up, actually kind of threw almost a death penalty thing after the Jerry Sandusky thing, yeah. right? But built them up to a winner, right? Remember how bad Bill O'Brien's offensive line was because they were – really mm-hmm. down but then he built it up started getting hackenberg and all those type of assets james franklin came in and that foundation of winning and culture was there whereas when mike riley left that was just ripped apart and it was ripped apart by i and diaco and that type of thing and mike riley was just a figurehead so that's four years of trying to make up and then here you're trying to do your thing right wrong or indifferent and then here you go through COVID, and everybody's just hands off where you're you know, talking or communicating through group texts and stuff like that and not being able to coach and develop. And, and that's where you gut a program. And that's how you lose. You're, that's how you go 16 and 31. That's how you lose 23 of the 31 losses, one score game, 13 straight single digit losses, 22, one score games, 12 of those five points or less. That's where it comes down to. So when I say, if you talk to Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Dabo Sweeney or Jim Harbaugh, you talk about that. He's like, that's on me. But it in Scott's, yes, that's on him. But I also have to say, well, that's also a reflection of COVID. Because as much as he needed that's on him, let's not forget that staff didn't have a chance to get better. That staff didn't have a chance to have some very frank conversations and say, mm-hmm. okay, Harrison, you need to do this better. Jay, you need to do this better. You're 
linebacker groups need to get better at this. We need to recruit better. We need to change how we're approaching the 500-mile radius. We need to change how we're, you know, approaching, I'll call it the 55-mile radius from Lincoln to Omaha. We need to figure, We need to focus on how we can get back into Omaha and get all those kids out of there to get this foundation back of Nebraska football faster than, than we could. But you couldn't. You yep. couldn't recruit then. You couldn't go to camps and all that. And then next thing you know, you know, you start over with the youngest roster in the nation trying to play against a team or teams that already have the foundation and they're an older roster. They have more established players, right? They have more established identities. So essentially, you're fighting an uphill battle that's hard to, hard to do. And there's no better example if you want it. And, and we'll talk about teams in the Big Ten West is Illinois, right? So if you go even remember when Lovey Smith took over, yep. it looked like he had an Under Armour high school team out there. Everybody was fr- freshmen, mm-hmm. right? But Nebraska went up there and kind of beat them up a little bit. But I took away from it, those young guys out there were fast and physical. They're going to be a problem in a couple years, right? Well, Lovey Smith gets fired. Mm-hmm. Bielema comes in. Right, he kind of brings a, <clears throat> excuse me, a different identity, but all those guys that be, that got beat up a couple years ago, now they're seniors. Now you got the Brown brothers, right? You got one of the best running backs in the nation and one of the best uh, defensive safeties in the nation, and so you got two figureheads on offense and defense, and a head coach that knows how to yeah, understand him. He's got his he's got his repertoire right uh, from coaching that kind of system already. Right, so then that's how you see him make a big turnaround and, and able to take a rot that's a veteran roster mm-hmm. so all the things again so the situation was of it didn't really work well so that's how you lead to kicking off against northwestern 11 point lead you know two quarters left and decide this and, and and you can cloud your mind man i'm telling you coaching is so mentally taxing you can actually get in your own way and say you know what i thought we could put the dagger in the heart and with two quarters left but you, you forgot that Northwestern scored 14 points right before half. Mm -hmm. So they've shown you the ability to score against your defense. Two quarters is a lot. What does that say about your defense, too? Right. Again, it can cloud your judgment. Once that happened, I knew it was time. I knew it wasn't going to work out well, and then we almost lost to North Dakota. Then, obviously, you know, after that, rest is history. But then, uh, you know, the Oklahoma game, I don't – I would probably put that more on Frost's tenure. So now you're 16 and 32. So you lost as twice as many as you won. Mickey Joseph took over, and I think that staff did a really good job of trying to set a foundation. Shout out Bill Bush. I thought he was yeah, huge was on that say, defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that staff was was Mickey Joseph head coach, yeah, Bill absolutely. Bush, um, and the whole staff coming together. And some of the old staff, too, mm-hmm. like being professionals. I mean, let's give them props, whether yeah. it's Barrett Rude, Mike Dawson, all those guys, you know, obviously – um, Donovan Rayola, all those guys that were, you know, on Frost's staff could have been just, hey, look, my guy is gone. I'm not coaching for you. They, you know what? They said, look, we're going to be professionals. They coached for the betterment of the kids. They were actually coaches. And being a coach, you're a servant more than times than not. It's a thankless job sometimes. And they all did. I want to give them all props for it, you know. But Mickey Joseph took over, and I think they came together. And, you know, they had the Oklahoma game that got out of control, went to a bye week, and in that bye week, they did a ton of work. They revamped the recruiting, right? Went out there, was knocking on doors, and had their chest puffed out. We are Nebraska. Actually, we are a new type of Nebraska coming mm-hmm. here. Changed that. Opened some recruit recruiting um, situations that were closed. 
and continue to do so, but then also change the standard identity and infuse confidence into these kids to where they were able to win uh, games and look um, like a better team in, in a matter of a week. And then obviously, you know, Mickey Joseph wasn't retained and then Matt Rule came in. So I think the tenure of Matt Rule in theory is going to start off a little bit better considering that I've just mentioned James Franklin and Penn State, Brett Bielema in, in Illinois. You can look at it where, okay, some of the work is done, right? Mm -hmm. Then Matt Rule can come in and take his experience and his coaching ability and his ability to lead and, you know, not just be a figurehead, but knows every single detail. And if you met Matt Rule and talked to him, his mind seems like it's always working, right? And if you see him, he, you know, he always like look at people's body language. So you look at him, he's always moving, always thinking, and always doing things. And it has to do with football. So those things in every scenario that he's thinking about is going to help you, ideally, in theory, again, not be 16 and 32. 23 of those 32 losses, or 24 of those 32 losses, one score games, 13 straight, 22 one score, and I'll keep saying it, 12 by five or less. You're bringing in Matt Rule to remedy that. And it's not just by Matt Rule getting up and putting on X's and O's. It's about Matt Rule being a head coach, being seen, holding guys accountable, talking about what, what, what their identity is, creating a culture of not just showing up and going through the motions, but getting better and trying to get better in every day. The biggest word I'd probably take out from it is, and I learned this from a, a coach that I had in the NFL, is even when you're not at your best, your intent has to be the best. And he's, and to me, he's demanding the intent, right? Because physically, if you just took, you could tell you the, I mean, I played with some really good players. I played with Bruce Smith. Not every day Hall of Fame Bruce Smith was out there on the practice field or even in the games. But nine times out of ten he was. But his intent every single day, obviously, was to be the best that he could be. And he knew how to, you know, work when he wasn't feeling his best or not on top of his game. And so that's what Matt Rule is trying to do. And he's doing it by changing the culture and changing the standard. And he's doing it all at once. And the big thing that he's able to do or should be able to do um, – when everybody gets on board or, or they should be on board is if they have the right intent, then everything else is going to go with it. So that's a big word out of the uh, inside the huddles intent. We're going to come back with a short segment. I'm going to give you the outlook on the season and then give you a preview of what we got coming up in the next week. So this is Jay Foreman inside the huddle. We'll be right back.